uh, our sound crew, Sid and Paul, and our video director, Pastor Dave. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we have been able to update a lot of our equipment. We are really totally wireless now. Remember how they used to have to string wires across the floor all the time and then pick them up again? Uh, because of uh, some donations from some generous members of the congregation and through your regular giving, we've been able to buy new speakers with no wires, uh, video equipment with no wires. I'm not connected to any wires <laughs> here, so it's really been a help to uh, all of our workers here. And again, thanks to your generosity and the giving of certain ones in the congregation, uh, special donations toward this. We're, we've really been able to uh, update our equipment and that's much appreciated, thank you. Well, we've come to the main message of our service today and I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 12 is where we're gonna begin. And let's pray. Lord, as we open our Bibles now, we understand that we would not be able to fathom the truths that you teach us here were it not for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens our minds, opens our heart, opens our eyes to take in your truth and to make it plain to us. So we pray that uh, he do that today. And as we study the word, teach us the lessons that you'll have us to learn today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll start here in Mark 12, beginning in verse 28. The title of this message is The Greatest Commandment. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? So a scribe was a professional scholar of the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament. And the Torah, as we know, the Old Testament, especially the first five books, that's the Torah, was full of commands. In fact, there are 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible and the Torah. 613 separate commands. Now, it was a common a practice in scribal discussions when these men would get together and discuss the Old Testament. They would always like to look for one general statement or principle that would summarize all of the laws. So often scribes would debate each other on that subject. So this one thought he would come to Jesus and ask Jesus' opinion. It says here, the most important one, verse 29, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So Jesus' reply 
He replied by quoting a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and it's known as the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. It's the great Israelite confession of faith that he, he read, that he quoted here in verse 29 and following. By the time of Jesus, this passage from the Old Testament was understood to mean that the one God of the Jews was also the one and only God of the whole universe. You know, the world was filled with what was known as polytheism. In other words, many gods. No matter which culture you looked at, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, they had gods, they had many gods. A god of the sun, a god of the moon, a god of the earth, a god of each of the planets, a god of water, a god of air, and so on and so forth. But the Jews understood that there's only one god. We understand even further that there's one god who consists of three separate persons. But there's only one god, and he's the god of the whole earth. He is the God who created all things, who holds all things in existence by his goodness and power. And they also understood that phrase to mean that God's claim on us is total, calling for a total response from us at every level of our being. To love God is to have a profound reverence and affection for him, to give ourselves over to him, and to desire to please him above all else. And, you know, the Jewish culture kind of passed that along to the Christian culture because we feel basically the same way about God. And as Jesus quoted, it's not enough to believe in God. You've got to believe that we owe a response to God for who he is and what he has done for us. Amen. Since Jesus says that this is the greatest commandment, let's take a closer look at it now. Jesus uses four terms that signify different ways of referring to the whole person and what our response to God should be. So notice he says in verse 30, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, number one, with all of your soul, number two, with all of your mind, number three, and with all of your strength. Let's look at this breakdown that Jesus provides for us to understand what our personal response to God should be. We believe in God, but who he is, let's understand how we're to respond to him. The first part, portion of our being that Jesus refers to, we're to love God with all of our heart. Okay, what does that mean, to love God with all of your heart? Well, your heart is, I'm not talking about the, uh, the thing that's beating inside your chest. When the Bible talks about heart, it means the inner depths of a person. The inner depths of a person from which all of our decisions and actions flow. I'll repeat that one more time. The inner depths of a person from which all our decisions and actions flow. You know, for example, when we talk about loving a person, the heart is important. I don't know about you, but on my phone, uh, I've got emojis. When I text somebody, and instead of sending them a, 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 you know, words, you can send little pictures. And it's, a lot of the pictures are little hearts. 
So during the day, my wife and I will be texting one another, and I'll always add a little heart, you know. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that this thing inside me is beating. It means that I love her, that I care for her, and it's symbolized by a heart. It's about feelings, right? And if something happens, somebody does something bad to you, or you break up with, with a, a, a person you're dating, you say, my heart is broken. Well, that doesn't mean literally that it's not pumping anymore. It means that where your feelings are, you, you've been hurt, okay? Uh, so to love God with all of your heart refers to the inner depths of a person from which all of our decisions and actions flow. To love God with your heart means to make him your greatest treasure. When I send my wife a heart, it means she's special to me from the deepest emotions that I have. So to love God with your heart means to make him your greatest treasure and to value your relationship with him over anything else. That's what Jesus means here when, first of all, you're to love God with all your heart. Is God the one that you treasure above all else? Now, I love my wife, but my wife knows that I love God Number one, she understands that. She feels the same way in her relationship with me. God has to be number one. You value him and your relationship with him over anything and everything else in your life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, first of all, love God with all your heart. Turn with me to Matthew 6 and verse 21. Hold your place there. But Matthew 6, verse 21. Loving God with all your heart, notice what it says here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you love God with all your heart, as Jesus told us to, it means that he is our treasure. He has the highest place in our heart. You could even say we're in love with God. He is number one. My wife is number two. Our, my kids are number three, and, and so on, down the line. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you love God with all your heart, it means that he is your treasure. He is number one, and you value him and your relationship with him. And you will be doing things every day to further and deepen the relationship that you have with him. Amen. And what will that include? Well, that it will include talking to him, prayer, uh, studying his word, Bible study, worshiping him, coming to church and participating in group worship, even worship him in your own personal life every day. You may sing, sing songs to him, you may give to him, you may... Serve him in whatever way you can think of. Notice now in Matthew 13, just a couple pages, you know, there are a, a few short parables talking about how you react to a treasure that you find. And in this case, it's our relationship with God, how you make it number one in your life. And think about your relationship with God when we read these two short parables here. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44.
The kingdom of heaven, in this case your relationship with God, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So why did he sell everything he had to buy that field? Because he knew there was a treasure buried in that field. And it became the most important thing in his life, the priority. He would sell everything he had to buy that field because the treasure was there. So in a similar way, when we discover our relationship with God and what he's done for us and how he's given mercy and grace to us and everlasting life to us, he becomes the number one priority in our life. He is the treasure hidden in that field. And that relationship with him now becomes the most important thing. And we put aside everything else, so to speak, to further that relationship and to pursue that relationship with God. And he goes on to give another example. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, and notice again, sold everything he had to buy that pearl because he saw the value in it. He saw that it was the greatest treasure he could own. So these short parables represent our relationship with God. We have to hold that in such high esteem. It is the greatest treasure that we're ever going to find in our life. Even more important than the person we marry, even more important than our kids, more important than any you know, physical thing we could own. It's number one, and we pursue it with all of our might. So in both cases, the person sold everything they had to pursue this treasure. Yeah, I've been watching this, this show, I don't know about you, about these guys who supposedly this treasure is on this island. What is that called? The uh, Oak Island. Have you watched any of that? Week after week, it's been going on for years now. These guys keep digging into the ground to try to find this hidden treasure that's been there for who knows how many centuries, and they come up with nothing. And, you know, each year they're investing millions and millions of dollars, bringing in different equipment, digging different places, trying to find this treasure. And I told my wife, I said, I got st- to stop watching this. This is ridiculous. I'm, I'm putting all this time and effort into this, and they've come up with nothing. Occasionally they'll find a coin or, you know, a bone or something like that. And I said, you know, after five years now, I said, this is ridiculous. I'm going to stop watching this show. And now they're coming up with other treasure shows. It's becoming the, the, the new popular TV show now, reality TV. Different treasures supposedly buried everywhere. There's only one treasure we need to be concerned about, and that is our relationship with God. And when we love God with all of our heart, we're telling him that we're putting him as number one. He is the treasure. And it says selling everything else in our life, maybe not necessarily selling it, but it becomes secondary to our relationship with God. The second thing that Jesus mentioned is not only to love God with all your heart, but to love God with all your soul. Now, how does that differ? What what does that mean? Now, your soul, from the Bible explanation of it, it, it's in your life it kind of brings together three different things. Your will, 
In other words, your intentions in life, your will, your mind, and that includes your thoughts, your feelings, your values, your conscience, and thirdly, your body. So all three of these things make up your, your soul, so to speak. Your intentions, your will, your mind, your body. And when I say body, you know, your facial expressions, your body language, your actions. And it, it kind of, your soul kind of brings all that together. It's who you are as a person, your soul. So how do you love God with all your soul? Well, your soul is healthy when there's harmony between these three things, your will, your mind, and your body. It's all working together. It's all functioning in a positive and purposeful way. Notice what it says in Psalm 103 and verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1 says this. David writing here. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So he's talking to his soul. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. So we're to praise God with all of our soul, just like Jesus said, and just as David did. So to love God with all of my soul means loving God with all that I am. My will, in other words, my attitudes and intentions, my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, in other words, my whole body, it all comes together. That's worshiping God with your whole soul, with all that you are. And it's going to show up even in your facial expressions at work, <laughs> your body language. You know, we might believe something to be true, but we don't act like we believe it. You know, when you see a Christian who considers themselves a Christian, maybe driving in a car, and you know they're a Christian because you see the little fish sticker on the back of, <laughs> on the back of their car, and yet they're beeping their horn at somebody and making threatening gestures or maybe even obscene gestures because somebody cut them off. That's not the whole person working together as one unit, you see. We should all be in agreement. If we believe in God and we believe that we're Christians, then the way we act, the way we talk, the way we think should reflect that. Because you would be a hypocrite if you didn't. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're not going to act like one. So that's, a soul brings that whole thing together. It's what you are as a person. You know, we talk about when you die, your body, you know, goes to the grave and, and turns into dust. But there's some aspect of you that lives on. You know, when you go to be with God, even though your body, your physical body still in the grave, you still continue on in all that you are. The experiences that you've had, the talents that God has given you, that continues on. And that's what's referred to when they talk about soul. So we're to worship God with our whole soul, too. Not only with our heart, with all our heart, all our soul. The third thing is your mind. Worship God with your whole mind. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? And what did the Old Testament Scripture mean by that? 
To love God with all my mind means I love him with my reason and intellect. Your, your thinking process, your learning process. When we become Christians, it's not just a matter that we have faith or blind faith of some kind. No, we're to become educated. We're to read God's scripture. We're to read revelation about God. And we're to learn about him. We use our mind when it comes to being a Christian. Somebody says, well, you're just a dumb sheep Christian. No, <laughs> I've studied. I, I've read a lot. I've listened to podcasts. You know, I've heard explanations of, uh, you know, life in Israel. I, I understand history. I, you know, read uh, all I can about God to learn about him and how he's acted in, in, throughout history. So to love God with my, all my mind means I love him with my reason and intellect. Having faith doesn't mean giving up knowledge and understanding. Christians are supposed to be educated people. Notice in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. 2 Peter 3 and 18. Second Peter 3, verse 18 says this. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Another translation says, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and in knowledge. So it's our belief as Christians is not just a faith-based thing, but it's also a knowledge-based thing. Read the wrong scripture. Yeah, it does say, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So to love God with all my mind means to learn as much as I can about him. Of course, from reliable sources, there's a lot of crazy ideas about God in this world today, and there has been throughout history. But learn about God. Why should you worship God with your own mind? Why should you learn as much as you can about him? Because through study, prayer, conversations with other people, the more we learn about God, the more there is about him to love. So when you love God with your whole mind, you're loving him in a way that where you're learning about him, you're growing in knowledge about him, and I'll tell you what, there's an endless amount to learn about God. Amen. Some of us have been at it for decades and decades, and we haven't learned a fraction of what there is to know about God. And it seems that every time we read Scripture, we learn more about God through that Scripture. He opens our mind to deep, more deeply understand Him. Amen. And I'll tell you what, I don't think we've scratched the surface of our knowledge of God. And I, the time is coming when we're going to see him face to face. And I tell you, he's got a lot more to teach us. There's so much more to learn that our human minds can't even handle right now. But we should still learn as much as we can.
with our physical minds. And he gives us the understanding. So Jesus said, worship God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and finally, with all of your strength. How could you learn to love God with all of your strength? Love of God is something that must be put into action. And that's what requires strength. Sometimes we learn to love God by serving and doing the things that he has asked us to do. Scripture says that he has prepared in advance for us opportunities to serve. So learning to love God also comes through serving for God, looking for ways that we can serve, using, of course, the talents and abilities he's given us. Turn to the book of Philemon. That's one we don't look at very often. Where are we at? Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, we'll find it. Timothy, Titus, there it is. Just before Hebrews, the book of Philemon, one chapter. But notice what it says in Philemon 1. And verse 6, Paul writing to this man Philemon, and he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Here's another translation. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So as uh, Melissa was saying just a little bit earlier, understanding all that God has done for us, we want to respond to that by giving and by doing other things, works of service. And those things take strength. And ironically enough, it is God who provides the strength for us to do those things. So it is loving God through what I do through what I say, honoring him with my abilities and my resources and my service. That's what it means to love God with all your strength. The strength he supplies you to serve. Action, performing action in response to God's love and God's grace to us. So that's what Jesus meant when he said to love God with all your heart, We know that that means putting him as number one in our life. He is our treasure. He is the treasure of our heart. Loving God with all of your soul, in other words, all that you are, your will, your mind, your body, bringing it all together. Loving God with all of your mind, that means continually learning about him, thinking about him, studying about him, and finally, loving God with all of your strength acts of service that you're inspired to perform in response to what God has done for you. Because he's the treasure of your life. Now, we don't have time to discuss the second part of that great commandment about loving others like yourself. Maybe we can talk about that next week or another time. But how to love God with all of your heart, 
with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. Think about this as you pray to God and as you study about him. Because we do these things as a response to what he's done for us already. Amen. His love, how he has resurrected us from death, how we're living new lives in him through the Holy Spirit, and also our future with him for all eternity. The reward that he has in store for us, that he has already prepared for us, because we've responded to his grace. So let's love the Lord. And I mean really love the Lord in the depths of the way that Jesus has instructed us. Okay, uh, we're going to have a closing prayer. And uh, Steve had to go to work, so we're not going to have a final song. So let's close the service in prayer now. Our Heavenly Father, we've just been inspired by Jesus' words. The depths of how we're to respond to God and to love him. Help us to understand daily as we study and as we pray to you what these four areas mean in our personal lives. In what ways have we not put you, Father, as the treasure of our life? How have we not put you as number one? Correct us and help us to see what we need to do to change to make you the priority of our life. And Lord, our soul, it seems sometimes that we're torn in, in three or four different directions. Our mind's going one way, our body's going another way, our uh, intentions are yet going a, a different way. Bring us all together. As David said, we should praise the Lord, O oh my soul, from our innermost being to the depths of who we are. Make our worship of you real and make our love for you real. And help us to live that every day. Our minds, Lord, continue to teach us. That's why we're here today. One of the reasons, not just to worship you, but to learn. So teach us more and more. And help us to study more and more about you. Because the more we learn about you, the more there is to love. And finally, Lord, give us the strength daily to do the things that you have prepared for us to do. The acts of service, the reaching out to other people the words of comfort, the words of encouragement that we should have for others daily because we know you already provide those things for us. So give us that godly strength so that our love can be perfect. That agape love that we have for you, Lord, just refine it and purify it. And we just want to close by saying we love you dearly. Help us to learn to love you more and more perfectly. So thank you, Father, for the, the blessings for this past week. We look forward to coming together again as a family next week to worship you and to lift your name on high. So, Lord, thank you. We praise you and we love you. And with this, we end the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Time for refreshments and fellowship. God bless you all.